Nearly half of all medical positions inside Illinois state prisons are unfilled, a situation a court-appointed monitor calls a crisis. Much of the medical care at those facilities is provided by a private company that has long failed to ensure adequate staffing. Now, complicating matters is the fact that the prison population in Illinois is aging. A third of all inmates are now over 55 years old. And issues with the aging facilities and staffing, that means many people are getting subpar care. WBEZ criminal justice reporter Shannon Hefferton joins us now with the details. Hey, Shannon. Hello. So tell us, why are so many medical positions in the state's prisons going unfilled? Well, I think one big reason actually relates to a larger trend. Nationwide, we have trouble having enough medical staff, especially in rural areas. And then you add on top of that that these jobs are in prisons. Those are really difficult places to work. I know I've spoken with um, at least a couple mental health providers who said the conditions were so terrible working inside there that they felt like they were delivering poor care and were worried they might lose their license. So I imagine that's something that other people who are looking at these jobs might be thinking about too. How long has this been going on? So the lawsuit that uh, appointed the court monitor was filed over a decade ago. Hmm. And my editor, Rob Wildeborg, reported on this many years ago. So this is something that has been a long time problem at Illinois prisons. Uh, the settlement happened in 2019. Since then, there have been some improvements, but really key issues like this staffing problem. Mm-hmm. The monitor says those have actually gotten worse since the settlement. Now, this is also leading to a safety problem. The court-appointed monitor that we mentioned says the situation threatens the safety of the folks who are behind bars. How so? Well, you know, if you're not getting adequate medical care, that's a safety issue. Um, We know that uh, historically from the the monitor's reports that there were actually uh, preventable deaths that happened behind bars. Um, you also think about if, uh, you know, health care includes mental health care. And if people aren't getting health care treatment, um, they may be more likely to act out. That's going to be a safety issue for themselves, for their fellow prisoners and for staff at these facilities. Is there a sense of urgency with the Illinois Department of Corrections to uh, well, you know, fix I, this? I, I, that's a good question. I can't be inside their heads. I don't know their motivations. But, you know, you look at this timeline and you have to ask yourself, why isn't this moving quicker. Um, and if, if they could make it move quicker, if they had a sense of urgency. Uh, that said, what, all, what I think is worth noting is this isn't just a problem with the Illinois Department of Corrections. As you mentioned, Sasha, there's a, a really uh, aging population behind bars and a, and a population that's getting sicker. Mm-hmm. And there's mechanisms to release those folks back out into the community. Um, and some of those aren't happening, not because the folks haven't gotten approval to be released and deemed safe to release, but because there's no place for them to go. There is no housing for them to go to. And in Illinois, you would need that housing to get released. So you would need nursing facilities, for example, that would take somebody mm-hmm. with a felony record. So this is not to say like letting the Department of Corrections off the hook, but this is an issue that really is like a statewide problem and the responsibility for fixing it goes outside just the department itself. Well, as you mentioned, lawyers for incarcerated people, they filed a federal suit against IDOC over these conditions. It was over a decade ago. So let us know what's happened since. Like, have there been any improvements? Yeah, so there's been efforts to make sure the staff who are employed there um, have uh proper credentials, that there's more oversight and review of the healthcare. So when a mistake happens, it's 
it's caught and taken care of. And those those improvements uh, matter. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to make progress if you don't have enough staff, no matter uh, even if you get that staff in really good shape. So given these staffing issues, what are the prisons doing to address the medical needs? When we talk about the prisons and we talk about medical care, we're talking about a private contractor. Illinois contracts out its health care to a company called Wexford. And uh, Wexford, similar to the Department of Corrections, has a long and problematic history around Healthcare, And we would like to really know what their strategy is here. Like, how are they trying to get more people on staff? But because they're a private company, it's more difficult to uh, get records from them. Mm -hmm. And even really simple things we've asked for. So we put in a public records request saying, like, how many open positions are there at each facility and what are those open positions? And Wexford told us, well, that's a trade secret. Mm. And if we revealed that, it would make it harder for us to compete in this market. So in terms of what they're doing to address medical needs, that would be a, re- a question I would love to ask this contractor. But despite a request over the course of literal years, we've not been able to talk to them. Mm. And so that makes it difficult for the public to really understand what efforts are being made. Do you have any clue as to its track record? This company? Well, we know that they have a poor track record in Illinois because we have, you know, these problematic preventable deaths, right? But we've also seen that in other states. In fact, some other states have moved to end their contract with Wexford. Um, And that contract is an important thing to talk about here because Illinois contract expired um, with Wexford. They've extended that contract. Mm -hmm. Um, My understanding is that they are looking for bids. So I'll be really curious to see how that goes here in Illinois and something I'll be keeping a, a close eye on. Um, you, you talked about their history, so I'll just add one thing here. You know, over the course of this, we, we have seen some pretty, what I would say are like horrific policies and stories coming out of there. For example, one thing we reported on was um, a so-called one good eye policy that was operating inside the Illinois Department of Corrections. What's that? Basically, yeah, basically, it's, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like, which is, uh, if somebody had a functioning eye, they weren't entitled to get uh, health care for their other eye if it was related to vision. So like cataracts, for example, mm-hmm. that one good eye was sufficient for somebody behind bars. Now, after we reported that, they told us they changed that policy. But I think that sort of indicates to you when there is a company with a profit motive, you have to be very diligent in watching what ways they might try to cut cost and yeah. make sure that the needs of people are getting met inside. Because otherwise you can end up with these kinds of policies where people aren't getting health care that may be outside in the community they would be able to get. Yeah. You decided to focus your reporting on Dixon Correctional Center. That's about two hours west of downtown Chicago. Why? So part of that was just a practical issue. The monitors report, um, where much of this information comes from, uh, had a piece of the report that focused on Dixon. So some of that was just about like what information was available to us. But it's also uh, Dixon is where some of the uh, oldest and sickest patients live. They have a geriatric unit there. Um, and the geriatric unit was actually one thing the monitor talked about Um The showers and bathrooms in that unit weren't ADA compliant, meaning that they weren't uh, accessible to people with disabilities. You think about a geriatric unit, you want to have facilities that are accessible to a person with disability. Um, We also heard that the majority of people on that unit had needs that actually exceeded the capacity of the facility and the staffs there. We'll leave it there. That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Shannon Heffernan. Thanks for sharing this story with us. Thank you.
Now let's turn to our colleague Patrick Smith to hear about one creative idea for keeping people out of prison in the first place. More housing options. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Sasha. First, can you explain the connection, Patrick, between this lack of safe and affordable housing and people ending up in a criminal justice system? Absolutely. I mean, based on people who spend time talking to people locked up in the jail, where someone lives and whether they have a safe and sufficient place to live can have a huge impact on their likelihood of being involved in crime. Um, You know, there's a few reasons for that. One, obviously, if you can't afford a roof over your head, you now have a specific motivation to do something illegal to get money. Or let's say a huge portion of, of whatever income you have is going to rent. You might be more likely to do something illegal to get your needs met. Secondly, I mean, if you're in a space that is too small for the number of people who are there, maybe you're couch surfing, maybe you've got six people in a two-bedroom home, you're on top of each other, there's more likelihood for conflict, more likelihood for the sort of things that might lead to to disturbances and calls to police. And third, some people are in areas of the city that are not safe for them. Uh, That might be because there's an elevated level of gun violence. It might be because they specifically feel threats or danger, and if you can't afford to move away – you might pick, get an illegal gun, or, or and that obviously that's a crime on its own. It also increases the likelihood of being involved in, in like an armed conflict. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I'm not saying that most people who struggle with suitable housing are likely to get in trouble. Obviously, many people struggle with with housing and, and don't end up in the legal system. Right. But the people who do end up in the legal system, many of them have struggled with housing. If that makes sense. Yeah, and to sum up what you just said, what would you say is the biggest obstacle that that folks in the criminal justice system face when it comes to finding adequate housing? Well, honestly, the biggest obstacle is money. Most people who wind up in the Cook County Jail, most people who end up arrested, they are poor. They maybe can't afford rent at all or they can't afford to pay for a place that's like the right size or in the right location like I was just talking about. Right. And then once they're involved in the criminal justice system, you have got the added hurdle of – Landlords are just much less likely to rent to 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 somebody with a criminal record. I mean, is I, that I've legal? Done reporting on, well, that's a good question because we do in Cook County have a law that prevents landlords from using a criminal record as a reason to reject a rental application out of hand, and it it bars landlords from asking about a criminal record in a housing application. So, like, you can't just say, if you got a criminal record, no no need to apply, you know, and there's, they, you're not allowed to have a box that asks if you, if you have a criminal record. Now, obviously, that might still happen, despite it being illegal. And then even within the bounds of the law, landlords are allowed to consider a criminal record if they're deciding between different applicants. So, like, you can't use it as a bar to, to apply, but if you if you're down to three people, you can decide. Okay, I don't want to go to the, with the person who's got a criminal record. And landlords are allowed to consider. You know, they can reject applications from people who have had convictions within the last three years. So people okay. who have recent criminal cases that that can be used to bar them. What are the specific housing needs for people who have spent time in jail or prison? I mean, for the most part, they have the same housing needs as everybody else. You know, a, a safe affordable and suitable place to live. I think the one possible difference would be um, the safety issue that we talked about. People who have been arrested before, depending on what they were arrested for, might have conflicts with the people that they live around, uh, you know, conflicts in their neighborhood and might have a greater need to sort of move to a different area than than sort of the everyday citizen. And uh, they also might not have the money to do that. So the Chicago Low-Income Housing Trust Fund and the the Lawndale Christian Legal Center, they're working on a potential solution here. That's what your 
their stories about, Patrick. So tell us what they're doing exactly. Yeah, so these two organizations are partnering up to provide that housing that we're talking about. I mean, Londo Christian Legal Center already works with people in the jail. Uh, they provide legal services, as you might have guessed from their name, but they also provide what they call wraparound services, court reminders to people who have an ongoing case, rides to court court hearings. They offer substance abuse help, counseling, you know, all depending on the need of the different people. But they told me the one thing that, that everybody said they needed help with that they just couldn't provide was housing. So that's where the housing trust comes in. The housing trust already covers portions of rent for low-income people throughout, throughout Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are now part of this program as well. So like Lawndale provides all the other services, and then the housing trust chips in to help pay rent for, for people as part of this program. You feature the personal story of Luis Gonzalez. Tell us more about him. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lewis has just such an interesting story. I, I feel like I'm going to do him short strift, but I, but the, the, the sort of outline is he's been a cashier at, ga- at a gas station on the west side for years. He worked full time, but he couldn't afford suitable housing for him and his family. So him, his wife, four kids, they're in a two-bedroom basement apartment on the west side. And what's more, their apartment is really close to this gas station where he where he works. It's a pretty rough gas station, actually. I, I've definitely uh, been over that way, and there's a lot of drug activity. He's had the, there have been robberies. He has to kick people out for for fighting or for for stealing. He lives really close to there, and so he says like he'd run into people that he got into it with at the gas station. Mm. And one night, his car got shot up shortly after he got got out of work, um, and he he believed that somebody who we had had a conflict with at the gas station had followed him home, so. He decided he needed a gun. Mm-hmm. However, uh, Gonzalez has uh, a felony conviction for burglary in his background, so he wasn't allowed to get a legal gun. He got an illegal gun. He got caught with it and ended up in jail, you know, this horrible moment in his life. But it was that arrest that led him to this Lawndale Housing uh, Partnership with the Low Income Housing Trust Fund, led him to this program. I see. And, and now he's in a new home with his family. Now, the organizations that you mentioned, Patrick, they want to house 70 families through this program. We know that that's just the tip of the iceberg as far as folks going through Cook County Jail. Are there other potential solutions out there? Yeah, I mean, part of it is convincing landlords. Part of what they want to do through this partnership is convince landlords to rent to people like Gonzalez. Now, that's not going to help with the money problem that we talked about, but it it does at least remove one hurdle to, to have landlords try to embrace this. Um, and, and I should say part of their pitch is, hey, these people are worth renting to. And also, if you rent to people like this, you might help reduce violence in the city. I mean, I mentioned Gonzalez's story. They're now in a new house far away from the gas station. He said his favorite thing about the house, you know, it's much bigger, but his favorite thing about it is the safety. He does not feel like he needs mm-hmm. to carry an illegal gun anymore. And so they're saying if we can get more landlords to rent to people like Gonzalez, we might have fewer illegal guns out there. And then lastly, real quick, I mean, we are hopefully – not hopefully, I should say. We are maybe getting rid of cash bond in, in, in the state depending on how the Supreme Court rules. Right. And Lawndale Christian Legal Center, part of their point with this program is to say, hey, when we get rid of that, if we want to help people succeed and we want to help people not get rearrested and get back to their court dates and all that stuff, we should provide help to people who need it. And that would include housing. So they're hoping that this program that, as you said, is not going to touch enough people, that this program will be a sort of model maybe for the county or for the state. That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Thanks for the update, Patrick. Thank you.